to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Know the Lord will bless the reading of his word, but would you buy with me wherever you are in a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for his precious blood poured out and shed for us at Calvary. And we thank the Lord that you raised him from the dead on the third day, and now he's at the right hand of the majesty and high, seated in the place of all power and authority. Father, we ask you, Lord, now through your Spirit, whom you have given to us, Lord, to be able to know the Scriptures and to walk with you in sanctification of life. We pray now in the mighty, most wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask you that you would now help me, Lord, to look at these things that we speak of, science and the Bible, your Word. We pray, Lord, that you would enable me, Lord, to rightly divide the word of truth. Bless your people. Bless all who will watch now on Facebook Live or YouTube Live. And we ask you, Lord, that you would bless and encourage everyone that comes on later, our families and our friends and whoever else may come. Open the eyes that are blind and, Lord, encourage the spirit of the man and the woman who are weak. For we know, Father, that you're able to do all these things and more. So we come to you and we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So science and the Bible. It had me thinking about, you know, sometimes people think, well, the Bible's just a bunch of Mickey-learned stories and there's no substance in them. I want to say that your Bible is more up-to-date than your local newspaper. In fact, your Bible is truth. When the media, especially nowadays, the media are twisting stories and falsifying things and, and we don't even know what's truth out there anymore. And as the Lord Jesus said in John 17 and 17, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. The word of God is truth that is forever settled in heaven. The word of God has been spoken and it shall not return unto him void. And even this book... Our Bibles. We can't change this, no matter whether we would think we would like to, although I would never like to, but even if I, we could, or pardon me, if we would like to, we can't. We cannot change the Word of God for society. We can't change the Word of God for science. We can't change the Word of God for anyone or anything else. Even when time has moved on, 2020, we're in this very night. When time has moved on and people say we're backward, we're medieval, it's been called, we are, we're away in the dark ages, and people say, well, you're living in, a, in, a, in another time with this word. I want to tell you this word is relevant, more relevant today than even the very people who are scientists and academia and all of those things. In fact, we're going to look at how science actually believes the Bible. And what we want, to, want you to know from the outset is I'm not against science. I actually enjoy and learn from things to do with science. But really what we're going to look at is that the word of God was way ahead of the scientists. And, and scientists themselves even need to keep rehearsing to themselves that which they have found. And then they have to keep revising it because they find that what they once learned was maybe not what they thought. And so we're going to look at what the scriptures have said. And the scriptures have been secure and steadfast all throughout these centuries and millennia from the Bible was written. So first of all, we want to look at science and the Bible. One definition of biblical proof and biblical truth is found 
in Bible prophecy. Now, we're not doing that tonight. We do plenty of it here on, in CET, in Christ Encounters Tabernacle. You know, I, I, I'm a student of prophecy and I love prophecy. But prophecy is one of the real foundational proofs that the Bible is true. Not that it needs to be proven true, but that it does prove it true. Um, the, 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 the Bible prophecy, not Bible prophecy for the future, but Bible prophecy and national historic interpretation. So the national prophecy of our nations or the nation of Israel and now the historical interpretation of prophecy, which tells of prophecy being revealed and unfolded through time. That is, if we go to the book of Revelation, it's being revealed and unfolded through time. Prophecy, it has been said, is history foretold. So it's coming, it's ahead of us. And history is prophecy that's been fulfilled. So prophecy is history foretold, and, and history is prophecy fulfilled. Prophecy proves the Bible to be true, but here's the thing, it doesn't make prophecy, Bible prophecy does not make us some sort of soothsayer, some sort of wizard. It doesn't make us some sort of fortune teller where we can tell the future, but we tell it as it develops, as the future becomes the present, as that present passes into history, and we can see it fulfilled in national interpretation and historical interpretation of prophecy. Notice here, we're going to point out 10, God willing, 10 Bible proofs. 10 Bible proofs of science and the Bible. Now, before we do that, I want to build a foundation on what Paul is speaking on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in, in our reading. Science, you see, it tries to, in many ways, uh, they're, they're good Christian science, scientists, by the way, so I'm not saying for them there's creation scientists as well. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about secular, atheistic humanistic scientists and what they try and do is disprove the word of God but we're going to show you that the word of God has proved science and science proves the word of God and what it tries to do is it tries to disparage the word of God and it thinks it can disgrace the word of God but this word has stood the test of time even when atheists and free thinkers, as they were called back in the day as well, even when they were trying to disparage and, uh, the word of God, you know, some of them were saying the word of God will fade away and will not be here uh, in, in so many years, and the word of God is still here, and they're away on to their grave. And they'll stand before not only the God of the word, but according to the word of God, they'll stand before the God of the word. So what we want to look at is, the, is not prophecy, but what the Bible has said uh, throughout in some prophetic utterance as well. But we want to, I want you to look at it, I want you to read it, and I want you to get it into you. So what we want to look at is a permanently perfected performance. Notice, a permanently perfected performance of the creative word of God. Okay, that's what we're going to look at tonight. So 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 25, let me build just a bit of a platform to build your faith to see these things to encourage you as well. It says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now the word foolishness is the word moros. It's actually where we get our word moron from. And it's a, we know today to call someone a moron, well, it's a, it can be uh, something that is not a, a very nice term, not a very nice word, and people would take offense to it. So it's an offensive word. Uh, to say someone's a moron is, is a really disparaging sort of a word. But here Paul uses moros, which he says that the foolishness of God is if the moros of God is wiser than man. The word wiser is so false than man. And the idea here is that, that, that the men who are the highest thinkers, remember they were in Paul's day too. Uh, there were the Greek philosophers and all of those men, even the, 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 he said at the very foolishness of God, I'm going to look at it for a second. 
uh, in a second. The foolishness of God is still uh, wiser than men. And then he says, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Notice the reference here is in comparison. God was at his most, and this is what Paul's speaking of, and I'll put it in a a bracket if I can, and pardon the expression, God was at his most foolishness, seemingly foolish by the world, by the Greeks, by the Jews, for that's who he writes about. He says, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says for the, in verse 22, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. So he's writing about the, the crucifixion, the crosswork of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we go into this, I want to make sure this is, this is settled in your heart. So the foolishness, as it were, is they classed it as foolishness. And the weakness was that God was in flesh. It was the flesh body, the Son of God, God and man, fused but not confused. And here we have the dual nature of Christ as divinity and humanity. And so the weakness means the flesh. The weakness, not that Christ sinned, for he was without sin, he was sinless, but the idea was he took on human form and he allowed them to crucify him. And so that's why God's foolish wisdom to them, God's foolish wisdom was displayed at the cross and it's displayed now in his sovereign will over his choice. So notice, the one who bled and died, it seemed foolish. It seemed weak because he was the man Christ Jesus, the God-man, the Son of God who died for us, who died to shed his blood for us, to redeem us. And now he then takes it from there. He says, those whom the world, if you want, the, the, the Jews and the Greeks, he's saying those Jews and Greeks who thought this foolishness and weakness, what sort of a man, a champion, a, a savior, a redeemer, a king is this? He'll hang on a cross and die. Where's the wisdom of this? For the Greeks, they looked for the philosophers and all this sort of stuff. And the Jews wanted this champion. They wanted this Messiah, which he was, and they didn't see whom they rejected. And notice, so it talks about the cross. And when we come into our reading, then it speaks not only then of who he was on the cross, but who he is on the throne. Who he was on the throne, who he became on the cross, and now who he's back, who he is on the throne. Notice it speaks of God choosing, verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Here's God's choice, and Christian, believer, blood-washed, saint of God, redeemed, you are chosen. You're his. And you may say, I'm not up to much. I'm just Mr. and Mrs. Five-eighths, as we would say. Just the man and the woman who, uh, who God has plucked as a brand, as it were, from the burning. I'm just the man and the woman who God has taken and, and has brought to himself, and I'm not up to much. And you may not be in your own strength, but you're chosen a lack of God. Notice here, you may say, I'm the weakest of the weak, and I even was the foolish of the foolish. But God has chosen you. You're his. And the thing is, when we look at this in the, in the light of science, you know more when you know the word of God, when you believe the word of God, when you follow, walk in the word of God, you trust the word of God. When you have Christ in your life, the spirit of the living God, and you walk according to this book and believe it, you have more than all of the scientists. You are way ahead of them because they're catching up. Science believes the Bible. We're going to look at it. And so God has chosen the foolish. God has chosen uh, the weak and the base things and the things which are despised. Why? Yea, he says in verse 28, yea, on the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Look, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
It's the same in our salvation that because he has not only chosen us, but he has died for us, he has shed his blood for us, he has washed us, he has cleansed us, and he's given us his righteousness. And because of that, there's not one solitary single thing we have done to merit our salvation. So no flesh will glory in his presence. You nor I nor anyone else will be able to say on that day when the saints go marching in, as it were, when we stand before the Lord God of glory, that we'll say we have done, we have given, or we have extended a hand. No, we have done absolutely nothing, but Christ has done it all. So notice here, that's why I'm bringing you here. Sometimes the academia might make you feel like you're, you're, you're little. Be littled. But listen, you are more than a conqueror through him that loved you. And you are his choice. You're his choice. So now when we look at this, he says that God has chosen foolish things, weak things, base things, despise things. And the strange thing about this is too, the word base for base things is the word agenus. And it's where we get the word genos from, which means family or race. And it gives the idea one of no reputation. Someone who is inignoble or ignoble. And, and what it really gives the idea is that the person of no reputation, for example, in Judges 6, Gideon threshing uh, wheat, hiding in, at the wine press and the angel uh, calls him a mighty man of valor. And he says, I'm nothing. My family's nothing in, in Manasseh. That is the tribe of Manasseh. My family is nothing. And I'm, I'm, I'm the, the least of the least. And it's he who God had chosen to, to uh, chase the Midianites out of the land that God had given Israel. And so God uses people like that. Whenever um, Samuel came to anoint and he went to the house of Jesse and he was looking for the anointed, the one who was to be anointed of the Lord. And all of Jesse's sons lined up and yet the one who was not thought of by Jesse, least thought of by his brethren and who was in the field with the sheep, who was David, it was him. The Lord said along the sons, not that, not this, not this, not this, until he got down and he called for David and he anointed David. The Lord said, this is him, the least they were fishermen, humble fishermen, probably unlearned fishermen. And these fishermen, the Lord Jesus called them and says, follow me. He says, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And the Holy Ghost on them, through the teaching of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, brought all things to their remembrance, and they write the Gospels of the New Testament. And they write some of the letters of the New Testament. So listen, the same God, the same Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he's chosen you. You're his child. You're blood washed. You're his. And so let us look at these things. So we, we, I'm saying this, that we're building a foundational base before we go any further. Notice the wise and the mighty of the world, like maybe the Hawkins and the Dawkins, the scientists and the astronomers and the, the fantastic minds of men, matter, maths and mysteries are only acknowledging the word of God. They don't even realize it. They're only acknowledging the word of God. And they're trying to find out the origin of the universe. I spoke about it slightly on Sunday evening. They're trying to find out the origin of the universe. And right at the beginning of the Bible, with faith, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's your origin. And they're trying to find out things that their minds cannot fathom. Notice here, they're acknowledging the word of God, the Bible, and it's proving what they're, what they're finding in science. is only proving the word of God to be true. So really, they're just catching up with the word of God. God's own weak, foolish, base and despised are way ahead of them. That's you and I. There was a, a woman called Lady Huntington. Lady Huntington 
was a, a rich and influential lady of her day. And I'm told she was great friends with uh, George Whitfield, that great uh, preacher, and also the other great preacher, John Wesley. Whitfield and Wesley were friends. They argued slightly in some doctrines, but they were friends. And this lady was a friend with them. And speaking of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is on her conversion and starting to understand the scriptures. Lady Huntington, it is reported that she said that she was going to heaven by a letter M, that is M. She writes, she says, isn't it that any noble that are called? She says, but she's glad instead, it says, not many noble. Many is the M word she used, many noble. Because it's not because of poverty that you're saved. You're not saved because of your poverty or because you're living a hard life. And listen, you're not cast out of glory because you have some money either. But the idea of this was she was saying because she was of the aristocracy, Lady Huntington said she was glad that the scriptures spoke to her too. So those on the higher echelons of society, if they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the scientists and the academia and all of them can believe and be saved as well. And they, they also can then be advocates for the science and the Bible. For you'll find that this woman, she read here when it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh. Not many. Didn't say not any. Not many. So their wise men can be saved. Not many wise men after the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But there are those who are called. Didn't say not any, just says not many. Because the rich are taken up with their riches. The wise in their own sight are taken up with their wisdom and so on. And that's why the poor heard Christ gladly. Because they hung on every word. Notice here, let's look at some of these, if we may. First of all, we want to look at the, the science used to tell us that the earth was flat. The Bible tells us that the earth was a sphere, circular. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Isaiah. I'm just going to lift out a verse, Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to lift a little verse out here. Isaiah 40 and verse 21. Isaiah 40 and 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Now notice. Verse 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of of the earth. The Bible told us of the circle of the earth. And yet they're telling us it was flat. I know there's people out there and they're really propagating a flat earth. I do not hold to that whatsoever. But nevertheless, the Bible tells us of the circle of the earth. In other words, God rules over it. In Proverbs chapter 8, if you would turn with me, please. Proverbs chapter 8. And I'm going to be turning to most of these with you as well as we go through them. Proverbs chapter 8. Notice what the scripture says then. Let your eye run down to verse 27. Proverbs 8, 27. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. This is speaking of, speaking of wisdom. When he prepared the heavens, I or wisdom was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above. When he strengthened the foundations of the deep. He, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment. When he appointed the foundations of the earth. Then I was by him as one brought up with him. 
and that was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. There's a picture of the, the wisdom or the word of, of God, the Lord Jesus. Notice here, he says that there comes a, t- a place where God set the foundations and then he told the sea to go thus far and stop. Tidal movement. Tidal movement. For years, scientists were trying to work out what's tidal movement. You know, we, 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 have, we, we have different stories of, of, of kings who would... Uh, of the king who sat out in, in his chair, his throne, said he could stop the tide from coming in, and of course he didn't. King Canute. And the, the, the science has been, for years, obviously now looking back, well, we know all these things, they say, we know. Yet for years, science didn't know these things. Here the Bible says, he sets the bounds of the sea. We know, uh, as far as science tells us, that is to draw the gravity of the moon and if it was so much closer there'd be all these tidal waves and, and so on. But here the word of God tells us that he establishes it. But in verse 27, Proverbs 8 and 27, when he prepared the heavens, I was there, when he set a compass upon the face of the deep. You notice this, it, it, science is telling us that the earth was flat for years. Sailors used to go out and seeing the horizon thought that they would fall off the face of the earth. Notice, when he prepared the heavens, I was there, and he set a compass upon the face of the deep. And the idea is here that the earth had four points of a compass. In other words, there was a north, a south, on the circle of the earth, east and the west. So we are seeing how science believes the Bible because that's what they're finding out. The Bible was way ahead of it. Let's look at another one. It says... Uh, in Job chapter 26, if you want to turn with me. Job chapter 26. And we know that there's been all sorts of things that's been said in the past about, well, in space, what holds the earth up? In space, uh, what keeps the earth afloat? What holds the earth up? Just let me get it. Job 26. And here's, it science proves the Bible again to be true. Uh, and science is catching up with the Bible because other peoples and religions and mystery religions and other faiths and science of men said the earth was held up, some said by a, a giant tree. Greek philosophers and different uh, faiths in the Far East, and they said that some, some said that the earth was held up with a giant turtle um, and an elephant standing on the back of a giant turtle, and then there, there, and all these animals were holding them up, and all these things seem ludicrous because they are. And science was trying to find well, what does hold the earth up in the vast expanse of faith? The earth was held up, it says, by a giant titan, and some even said that the, that it was held up. Uh, by different cords and different things, uh, like a giant with his arms. All manner of things has been out there. Let's see what the Bible says. Job 26. Let your eye run down to verse 7. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place. Notice, and hangeth the earth upon nothing. He hangeth the earth upon nothing. I think it's fantastic. Here Job, way back probably Abraham's day, way back then, he says, he hangeth the earth upon nothing. How would a man way back then know these things? How would Isaiah the prophet know these things when when it's only in sense and and last couple of centuries or so are starting to understand some of these things? Because the Holy Spirit of God told them these things. Notice here in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, God who at sundry times in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. By whom he hath appointed her of all things. By whom also he made the worlds. Notice verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. 
Notice, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Upholding all things by the word of his power. That's the earth. That's the sun. That's the universe. That's all the galaxies and the universes that we don't know as well as know. The billions and billions of stars and whatever else is out there. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Isn't he fantastic? The one who was in weakness, as it were, the one who seemed to be foolishness of God, that is, uh, to the world, to the, that is, Christ on the cross, is the one who made all things, who is the one who spoke all things and upholds all things by the power of his word. And this word is the power of God. And now he is, uh, the son is raised up to, to be seated in the right hand of the majesty on high. The one who came and the one who stepped down from glory to die and redeem us. Saint of God to redeem you, to buy you with his precious blood, who done all of these things is now sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. I think it's fantastic. This is our God. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. This is our Redeemer, our kinsman, the great eternal one. So here's another one. So the earth is free, free floating, they said, but the Bible tells us he hangeth the earth upon nothing. Here's number three. They say that each star looking at it was exactly the same. Years ago, they thought, science said, the stars must be the same. You know those twinkly things in the sky? Well, they must be the same. They did look at the stars way in Abraham's day, and they, they seen, as it were, the different shapes of the stars and you know, they have the crux of this, uh, and, and Leo, and, and people have taken that for, for a satanic thing. But there was also those things that speak of biblical principles. The crux was the cross. Leo was the land of the tribe of Judah. Virgo was the virgin, bringing forth the child. And they saw all of these things. But unfortunately, as it's been with many things on earth, the devil has taken it. And people have followed another spirit with it. But nevertheless, each star was the same, they said. So in our chapter, or pardon me, in our book, 1 Corinthians, go to chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to what the apostle says. Here it is, the Bible. And the Bible tells us, remember this is 2,000 years ago. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let your eye run down to verse 41. There is one glory of the Son, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. Isn't that fantastic? The Bible tells us they're not the same. And it's only recent years, when I say recent years, it could be centuries, it could be decades for some of these. But it's only recent years that man is finding these things out. So notice, one glory for the sun, another glory for the moon, another glory for the stars. For one star differeth from another in glory. And that is likened unto our resurrected bodies and so on. But that's what he's saying. That's what it's like in the glory. That's what the heavens are like. And so we know that today. Science has now found this to be true. So science believes the Bible. Science believes the Bible. Here's another one for you. Uh, people, uh, <coughs> pardon me, scientists used to say that light was static. Light was static. In other words, what they thought was light didn't move. In other words, it, at the most it was, was instantaneous. Instantaneous. So, for example, when you go into your house and you turn on the light, it's automatic. It's as if it's already been there. But it wasn't. You go in the dark. You turn on the light, and there it is. It's because of the speed of the traveling light. That's why it's instantaneous in such a small place from your roof, say, your ceiling to your floor. But they used to think that light was static or at the most instantaneous. It just appeared. There it is. Notice here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, pardon me, in Job chapter 38, I was looking at the last one, Job chapter 38, let's go back to 
to the book of Job again. I'm going to have you flicking through, get you used to going through some of the books of your Bible. And Job chapter 38. Now, as we look at this, what we want to see here is we're going to look a little bit more at light for a moment. So they believed that early science, until recent years, believed that light was static. Uh, it was nearly fixed in one place. It was there, and it wasn't. So God was saying uh, in verse 19 and 20 of Job 38. Let's read it. Verse 19. Where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? That thou shouldest take, take it to the bound thereof, that thou shouldest know the paths to the house thereof. What is God saying? God is saying here, do you know its nature and its source. Light's nature and light's source. He's saying here, for lights, our light has a source, and so if it has a source, it must travel to a place. So it moves. That's what the Bible's saying here. That's what God is saying through Job 3,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago, pardon me. And here he's saying 4,000 years ago that this man... Who, who is, he's nobody in compared to what we know today. Oh, he must be some goat herder. No, no, no. This man, this man Job, was a well-respected man until his trials came. And then God blessed him with more at the end. But the Holy Spirit is saying to Job here, God is saying to Job, do you know the source and the nature of light? In other words, does it stay static? No. But if it comes from a source, it must travel. Okay, so the Bible's telling us that light isn't static and it's not just instantaneous, but it travels. It says it needs needs a guide to find its way home. In other words, if it shines here, it it goes somewhere. So So for example, when we step outside, we have light outside during the day, light of the sun at night, the light of the moon, the reflective light of the moon. But notice this, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Now, I want you to get this. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Now, that's hard for us to imagine uh, and to, to, to fathom, but let me just put it in this way for you. If you traveled around the earth, the circumference of the earth, Seven times, seven and then another half time. So seven and a half times around the earth. In one second, that's the speed of light. For one second, seven and a half times around the earth. Here's something else to give you the vastness and the speed of light. The speed of light is about 670 million miles per hour. In fact, it has been worked out at 670 million, 616,629 miles per hour. Now, the thing is that light travels from the moon to your eye. And when you go out and you see the moon, that light is traveling. And the light that hits your eye as soon as you look at it has left the moon one second ago. One second. That's the speed of light. So it moves. Scientists were saying it's static or it just appears because it was so quick. The Bible says, no, it has a source, it has a nature, and it travels. You see, God is the light of the world. Christ is the light. Notice, notice, light travels from the moon to our eyes in about one second. Now, light travels from the sun, the S-U-N, it travels from the sun in about eight minutes. Now, we know it's dangerous to look at the sun with a naked eye, but if we were to look uh, through something at the naked eye, not with a naked eye, at the sun, the light that hits your eyeball from the sun left the sun eight minutes ago. All those miles were covered flying at 186,000 miles per second. So light really shifts it really moves. The nearest star, Alpha Centauri. So when you go out and you look at the sky at night, this shows the, 
you know, the, the wonder of God and the glory of the Lord. You look at the nearest, brightest star at night, Alpha Centauri, and you see that light, so that light's hitting your eye from that star. That's, the light left that star to hit your eye 43 years ago. 40, sorry, pardon me, 4.3, sorry, 4.3 years ago. 4.3 years ago. It's traveling nonstop at 186,000 miles per second for 4.3 years that's been traveling at that speed. And when you see the nearest star, it hits your eye. Mine starts to, to boggle. And here's another thing. Light can be slowed down. We didn't realize it, and, but light can be slowed down. So if you were to get a prism of glass or a gemstone, really, I'm told that a gemstone slows the, the speed of light down to a, a mere 277 million miles per hour. 277 miles. So if you get the speed of light going through a gemstone of like one of those precious stones, and it goes through it, it slows it down. So the light is actually traveling through, slowing down as if it's, it's searching the gemstone and comes out again. And it travels at 277 million miles per hour. Powerful, isn't it? Light travels one year. So that Alpha Centauri is 4.3 light years away, the nearest star. One light year is 5.88 trillion miles away, one light year. So four times that, and then another, say third. Shows you the, the fast expanse of this. And so when it hits a gemstone, it slows away down to 277 million miles per hour. Now, notice in Malachi chapter 3 and in verse 17, the Lord says of his people, And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my jewels, or my precious stone, my treasure. And I will spare them as a man spareth his son. The word make up here means to fashion, to accomplish, and to perform. And Lord, when I am finished Honing my people, fashioning them. And the jewels means a possession, a property, or a peculiar treasure. For example, in the book of Exodus, if you want to quickly look, Exodus chapter 19, the Lord tells his people Israel, notice 19 and verse 5. And now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall, shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak to the children of Israel. Isn't that fantastic? That? Notice, peculiar treasure, kingdom of priests. Psalm 135, please. If you're following with me, Psalm 135. I'm going to find it with you too in a moment. Now notice this. Psalm 135. And just for time's sake, let your eye run down to verse, verse 4. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. Notice his peculiar treasure. And then if you'll go to 1 Peter chapter 2 in the New Covenant, I think this is marvelous, in the New Covenant, 1 Peter um, chapter 2, verse 9, please. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's us. A peculiar people. That means a peculiar treasure that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here we're finding that God's people are a peculiar treasure. They're like gemstones. And if a gemstone, a jewel, 
can slow down light, and it slows it down by almost almost a half of it. The breastplate of the high priest of Israel had the gemstones, 12 gemstones with the names of each tribe graven into them. And when he went into the ark where the ark of the covenant was, and there was the mercy seat and the cherubims on it, and uh, he sprinkled it with blood, and the glory uh, came down. Here it's believed that when God's glory and light shone on it, that the light searched every stone because the breastplate was called the breastplate of judgment. Here is the mercy and the blood. And this is where we find our mercy and blood at the cross of Calvary. And on every stone we are, as it were, in judgment. And the light of God was to go in and it slows down and it searches all the inward parts of the man as the gemstone. So we're finding that we're jewels. And I wonder sometimes are these jewels slow down the light that God wants to show through us, show through you. Notice, so light travels. Moving quickly, air has weight, A-I-R, the air we breathe. Air has weight. They used to think that air was, there's nothing in there. So how you, you, know, you cup your hands and there's air, there's nothing there, you can't feel it. But air has weight, and the Bible tells us so. Job chapter 28, book of Job's tremendous, we're using it quite a bit tonight. Job chapter 28, please. And let your eye run down again, down the chapter. Remember, about 4,000 years ago, Bible's told us, science believes the Bible. Let's see it. Job chapter 28, let your eye run down to verse 25. Let's go 24. For he looketh to the ends of the earth and seeth under the whole heaven to make the weight to make the weight for the winds, and he weigheth the waters by measure. To make the weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, to make the weight for the winds, to maketh or to weigh the winds. Look at verse 24. For he looketh to the ends of the earth and saith under the whole heaven to make a weight for the winds. So the air, the, or pardon me, air has weight. For example, Science has found this out. Let me give you some details here. They declared that air was weightless. But now science has caught up with the Bible. And the air or our atmosphere has weight. In fact, they have weighted out at 14.7 pounds of pressure per square inch at sea level. So at sea level... It's 14.7 pounds of pressure per square inch. For example, Mount Everest is 29,000 foot feet high. And if you were to go to the top of Mount Everest, 30% of the atmosphere is still above you. And it leaves the air pressure, drops right down to 4.4 pounds of pressure per square inch. That means you're losing 10.3 pounds of pressure per square inch because you're going up so the The weight is on top of us at sea level. But the more you go up, the air gets thinner. That's why they start using breathing apparatus. The air gets thinner, the oxygen is thinner, and it gets lighter. So there's, because there's more air beneath us, so the weight isn't on us, and there's air above us. So the Bible tells us air has weight, the weight of the winds. Number six, it says that the wind, they used to say the wind blew in straight lines. The wind's blowing this way today. Oh, the wind's blowing that way. But the Bible told us years ago that the wind blows in cycles in a circular movement. Ecclesiastes, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Psalm Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Let your eye run down to verse 6. Notice, the wind goeth toward the south and turneth about to the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. Goes in a circuit, moves about. And the Bible here is telling us, what 3,000 years ago, the Bible, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, tells us that the wind moves in circuits. 
Even the Lord Jesus likening those who are born again of the Spirit. He says in John chapter 3 and verse 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou canst hear the sound thereof, but canst not tell whether it cometh and whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. But he tells uh, Nicodemus when he came to Jesus at night. You notice, and he's telling him about being born again. So the wind moves about. You can see it blowing in the trees one way and another. But you look at the weather maps next time you're watching. The TV and it shows you the wind circling and the pressure's high and low. And you see the, those arrows going around. The wind's blowing. The Bible tells us this 3,000 years ago. So the wind, here it tells us that it moves in circus where up till uh, recent years, we knew that it, uh, they thought it moved in straight lines. Another one, it tells us, the Bible tells us also something that science is only finding out in latter years. Again, latter years could be decades or the last couple or a few hundred. Notice the, it, it, the, the ocean floor contains deep valleys and mountains. Years ago, they thought the earth was flat and the ocean floor was completely flat. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 22 and verse 16. The channels of the sea appeared and the foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Notice the channels of the sea. There's ravines and there's channels on the crust of the earth, as it were, or at the seabed. And they thought there was never any. It was all flat. The Bible tells us. So science now believes the Bible. The book of Jonah. Remember Jonah, the great fish, the whale swallows him. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1. Jonah says, I went down to the bottom of the mountains. This is in the water. In other words, we see the mountain as it's say, Everest 29 from sea level up. But what about under the sea? When we go along land and go down into the sea, that goes right down into the, as it were, the foundation of the earth there. Jonah 2 and 6, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me. Jonah tells us that there's mountains beneath the sea. Of course, we can also uh, look at things like this, the Pacific Ocean. Uh, scientists have found the Mariana Trenches uh, and they have reckoned it's 36,035 feet deep. 36,035 feet deep. Now that means we could take Mount Everest, 29,000 feet from sea level to the top, take Mount Everest and it could set it into the Mariana Trench alone under the sea. You set it there and it would still be covered with 7,000 and about 44 feet of water. So you take Everest, you place it into the Mariana Trench under the sea, in the trench alone, and then from there to the top of the sea, it's still 7,000 plus feet of water above the sea. That's three times the depth of the North Sea, and plus 458 feet of sea on top of that again. That's how deep that is. They thought it was flat. Bible says, no, it's not. So, Science believes the Bible. You could also take the, the, the Red Sea, where Moses and Israel uh, and the stories of their crossing were, but take the Red Sea and you could put it on top of Everest and you would almost be able to cover all of that from the Mariana Trench to the top. Powerful, powerful. Notice here, the, they knew little about the, the ocean floor up until... 1930. But you see, science has always been revised and, and things are always being found out. We're moving quickly. The Bible also tells us that the ocean had springs in it, water springs and fountains in it, also volcanoes. The Bible was telling us this when science didn't know it. Science used to tell us that the ocean was fed by the rivers that flowed in, which it is, and the springs that flow in from the land, which is true. And now science believes the Bible again. Notice here, Job chapter 38 and verse 16. Job 38 and 16 says, Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea? Or hast thou walked in the search of the depth? 
And we can also think of in the book of Genesis chapter 7 and verse 11. Let me just read you the verse. You turn if you turn with me. And this is about the, the, day, the time of the flood. But in Genesis 7, verse 11, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same year where all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. The fountains of the deep sent us. Didn't know it. In fact, I'm told that they only really found out a lot of these things in the 1960s and 1970s. Bible is way ahead of them. See the foolish things in the base. and all that. We have these treasures. We believe these. And notice here, ninth, nine, it says that blood, they used to, the, the doctors and the scientists used to uh, bleed people. And sometimes they used to bleed people to try and get rid of an illness or a sickness. So they used to bleed them to try and get rid of a disease and even a, a, a demonic spirit, even, you know, all these sort of, well, they didn't believe them as spirits, but maybe others did. And they would have bled people. But, you know, Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11 tells us, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Sometimes they bled people till they died, expecting them to get better. Bible tells us the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I want to tell you about the blood of Jesus. The life of not only the flesh, for we'll rise again at the resurrection, should be past the scene of time before his coming. But it is the life of the soul, the salvation of the soul, the redemption of the whole man and the whole woman is in the blood. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for a couple of weeks I also said this and I finished with this. The Bible tells us of stemming infections before they even realize it up until the days of the Crimea War. Leviticus 15 and 3 says, And when he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then shall you number, him, him, number to himself seven days for his cleansing, or put him under quarantine. And bathe his flesh in running water and shall be clean. You notice science in the Bible, there's far matters. I would take for a long, long time to go through many more of them. But there are some things I just want to encourage you with, Christian, because you have this word, you have this Bible, you have something sure and steadfast. It's an anchor in the greatest of storms. It's what cheers the heart. It's what fortifies the spirit. It's what strengthens the soul. It's what tells us of our great creator God. And not only our creator God, but our creator who became our savior. And our savior who's our coming king. This Bible tells it all. And the histor historist, uh, uh, national historist of, 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 our, of our people. And of the, the blood and the book. And, and the, the gospel and the prophecies all help the proof. But science is catching up. Science believes the word of God. They just don't realize it many of them yet. And I'm not against science. I'm actually intrigued by a lot of it. But I want to tell you, our great science, our great creator is the one with all the answers. Lift the book and read it. Lift the book and eat it. Lift it up. It will be marrow to your bones. It will be health to your navel. In Jesus' name. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for watching tonight. And don't forget, on Thursday coming, our elder, uh, one of our elders here, Glenn McMurray, will be bringing us another study from his home at 7.30. So uh, log on, link in, whatever it is with Glenn there, please. And at 7 o'clock then, CET Kids will be uh, coming on again um, uh, with a premier program there as well. So we'd love you to join us there too. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. And we hopefully, we hopefully will be together again soon. Let us pray. Father, take your own word and inscribe it upon our hearts and print it into our minds. We pray, O oh God, that you would educate us in the word of the Lord by your spirit. And we pray, Father, that in all things are said and done, 
that Christ in Christ alone would be exalted and lifted up and glorified. Father, may your spirit reside in our hearts. Lord, lead us and guide us every day. Lord, because we need you and we love you. Glorify your son in our lives. And Lord, may we draw closer to you, for you will draw nigh to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless everyone. God bless you.